Yeah, Rhett, what's that about her cooking tasting like shoes? The cooking just tastes like shoes. My God. Look, that's just what John told me, okay? Oh, shit. No! Oh, God. No! No! Oh, my God! No! I would never say that. Damn, man. Well, it's not like I've tasted her cooking. Like, the joke didn't even make sense. Well, you did say probably. You're just assuming based on what you know over Anna that you would say her cooking tastes like shoes. We were just going by what you told us, John. Damn it! (laughs) You guys hear that? What? That is the sound of the internet beating down the doors of the Socks cast because they are hungry. They're hungry for opinions about gaming, and only our opinions about Game of the Year will sate that hunger. And I'm not usually the kind to give in to terrorism, but I figure, hey, if it's good enough for America, it's good enough for us, right? Oh, Sounds yeah. Good. So, hey... It's Game of the Year time, folks. We've got a bunch of games we're going to talk about over the course of the next couple of episodes. We're tackling the first half today, and tomorrow you can tune in and there'll be another little episode there for you to blast into your ear holes at supersonic speed. I'm your host, Polly, the ringmaster of this shit show, and to my immediate virtual right. He can't come out because he's too busy playing with his red-haired Dutch dolls. It's Rhett. Hi. How you doing, buddy? Are you ready for just Game of the Year it up? I am. I was looking at my list and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to talk about these games. You sound super stoked, dude. I'm this so is, psyched. I've never heard you excited about anything before. That's not true. Oh. That's a good point. You were pretty excited <laughs> about... Well, I will leave that one for people to wonder. And to <laughs> my immediate right, wait, left. Did left. I get did I get the situations mixed up? I'm to your left. Whatever. I'm the scheming worm tongue figure. Exactly. Or are they to the right? And the table's been flipped. Now he's got all the coconuts, bitch. It's John Thire. Hi. How you doing, John? I'm doing really well, thanks. Are you ready to sate some hunger? I'm ready to sate everyone's hunger. You get, you're ready to unload on fr- in front of everybody. Just just spray your game of the year goodness all over their faces. Yes. You sound like a man on a mission. Yes. So, introductions out of the way. We're 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 getting ready to go full blast into this thing. But before we do, I think that it's important that we all sort of take a moment to sort of describe how we all came to our top tens, how we approached them, um, because I don't think that all of us did anything like top ten of 2014, I'm not sure, but, um, Rhett, get us started. How did you handle your list? Uh, because I'm a weirdo, my list is exclusively games that weren't released in 2014. Way to get into the spirit of things. Yep. That's that's a good way to... (laughs) I just kind of kept them on different lists the whole time and when i got to the end i'm like 
oh, I don't really want to make a merge list because then I'd have to cut things, and these are games I really want to talk about on the podcast. That is cheating. That is cheating. <laughs> you are cheating tradition. It's like even I've got 2014 games on my list, you big dork. There's not many good ones that I've played anyway, so whatever. 2014 wasn't really a banner year for games, really. So It really kind of wasn't. It was kind of, kind of a big old stink show. Well, um, for me, it wasn't so much that there was like... It was a bad year. It's just that there was a whole bunch of good games that I really liked, and then like nothing that made me like want to leap to the leap into top of the roof and shout to the heavens. This is the best thing ever. I can actually see you climbing to a roof and doing that <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. You strike well, I mean, me as last the- year. I was a bunch of games. I want. I ran up on my roof and yelled about. But I this year, there's there's still a bunch of games that I really like. It's just that. Um, yeah, nothing's resonated with me that deeply yet. So, John, how'd you handle your list? Um, well, I think I'm, when I, I'm going to have the site list, which will include this top ten, which is just general games I really like this year, uh-huh. and then a whole an, an unordered list that's just a whole bunch of games from 2014 that I liked. That will be like a paragraph each that I enjoyed. Okay, so you're doing a top ten for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and that uh, doesn't it, include any 2014 games. Oh, of course not. <laughs> I, of course. Why would it? <laughs> Good lord, I'm I should have hired. I'm not both. sure any of the twenty fourteen games resonate as much as my number ten, so Um and I'm going to be tackling my list in the same way that I handle uh my top ten lists every year. Uh it's going to feature games that I first played this year. Uh it doesn't matter when they were released, um, you know, 2014, 1982. Is there a nineteen eighty two game on my list? Stay tuned to find out. That's a good cliffhanger, Who huh? Knows? Oh, man. I know oh, man. how to bring the drama. I mean, I'd have to bring the drama to your mama. See that rhyming thing I did there? It's because I'm a rapper now. So can't wait. can't wait to hear your debut. Oh, you'll hear it very soon. Um, so that's sort of how we're all going about our lists. And um, as we present our lists, we will be going in that order. Rhett will talk about a game on his list. John will talk about a game on his list. I will talk about a game on my list. And we will also be sure to get, of course, the very important reader lists after we've discussed each game within a certain rank. So um, instead of jumping right into things, I think that we should start this shebang off really special, real proper with uh, a list that I know everybody's sort of looking forward to. Uh, People are, like I said, they're banging on the door. They want to know. Let's get Anna in here and hear about her top three games of the year. So, um, I played some video games this year. Did you? That's a coincidence. Because we all did, but the internet, they're super crazy interested in your top three games of 2014. Well, this year I played a little game called Pokemon Mm -hmm. for the first time. A little bit of an indie darling, that Pokemon. (laughs) And that was a revelation. A revelation. Yes. I played Fire Red on John's old little Game Boy Advance thing. And it made quite and the impression. And it was delightful. Delightful, you say? You, you yes. Like, you didn't mind grinding all your peckermen up to levels and stuff? <laughs> I didn't feel like I had to do hardly any grinding. Wow. So you fell in love with little peckermans? Yep. Anything else on that lovely little list of yours? 
Um, well, I played other Pokemon games after that. Okay, so... I played so. two more to completion. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Heart Gold and then also Pokemon Y. Pokemon Why? Y was Why? a little bit too... Um, there's too much stuff going on, and it kind of detracted from the main fun stuff. Why? For me. Why? 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 Because it was annoying, because it scrolled across the screen. Oh, you're just saying why, <laughs> why? because that's the name of the game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and I also played Persona 4. Good choice. Oh. How did that, that not? How did that not make your glorious. Tumblr list? I totally forgot that I even played it. How do you forget Otherwise, Persona? it would be definitely you know, on that list. I guess if it made enough an impression, like Peckerman did... Then maybe it should it would have been on that list, but Persona. Oh, well. <coughs> Persona was fabulous. You are excited for Persona Five. I am very excited for Persona Five. Awesome. Also, on my Christmas wish list, I put Persona Q. So I'm hoping that. that... Ooh, dungeon crawler. Yeah, I hear it's to good. Be fun. I hear it's good. I hope so. Cool. Well, Miss the Lovely Anna, we do appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule because I know that you're world famous now and everybody loves you. They're buying your singles, everything. Uh, but I appreciate you taking time to stop by and uh, give us a heads up on your games of the year. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Mwah. Mwah. So with that done. I think that we're ready to start this bitch off proper. Rhett, give me a number 10. And I want, some, I want some fries with it, too. Well, I'm not sure if you're going to be getting it. I don't know how to segue that. Uh, my number 10 is Guacamelee. Ooh, that is a very difficult game. Yes, that is one of the reasons I really liked it. It is deceptively so, difficult. Yeah, it's really hard, especially towards the end, which is... Uh, so I kind of was mediocre, like, in the middle on this game for, like, the first half of it. And then you beat the game, and you get the bad ending. And I was like, because it's a Metroidvania game, and it does kind of feel like it leads you on, like, very linearly for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But then you get to the end game, and in order to get the true ending, you have to, like, explore and go to these uncharted areas off the map. And it's just, it's so cool, like, when you finally kind of takes the training wheels off and just lets you have at it and you just don't know what's out there and you're like you go to hell and like there's a super meat boy inspired level but also with polarity switching it's just oh cool it's almost it's, sort of like that um castlevania symphony of the night like when you get to the second yeah. half of that game the first time it's like oh shit there's yeah, way more like, here it's not quite as extensive as that because but it's really cool and it's definitely like when I looked back at like the games I'd played this year, I thought like the end game for Guacamelee was like one of the definitive moments in gaming for me. It was just so cool. And like the challenge rooms that you have to do at the end are incredibly difficult, but really satisfying. Yeah. I, I never like, like when I went to play it this year, I, I didn't quite get out of its slow start. It just, it just didn't, yeah. it just kind of didn't grab me. It doesn't have the best start in the world, but, um, I, I'm excited to hear that, you know, it picks up quite a bit along the way. Yeah, I definitely agree it has way too slow of a start and kind of a slow middle as well. But really enjoyable, and I do want to play it again on hard mode someday, which I heard 
does more than just like more damage or less takes more damage and stuff. Yeah, they like change they, they change some of the phasing puzzles, don't they? I think I heard something about that, and I think like they move the enemies around so it's not the same combat scenarios and stuff. That's really cool. Sounds like they did some work to that as well. So yeah, that's my number ten. Jonathan! Alright. Um, my number ten would be a game that I spent about as much time getting running as I did actually playing it. And it was Kagiri Naki Tatakai for the Sharp X1 computer. Oh. And, do you remember this? Do y'all remember I, I, this I sort of remember this, but give us a refresher. Alright. Um, it is a Sharp X1 game, which means it um, came on a cassette tape exclusively in Japan, and it was released by Enix, but it was actually done by one high school student and sent in to a programming contest. And then they um, selected that as one of the winners and released it and gave him a flat sum of money and then sold about 3,000 copies, and that was that. Really cool. I know. So I managed to finally get this emulator working. I had to, like, find this weird, obscure forum and join them, which required, like, emailing the administrator and asking permission to join and then posting on the forum and timidly asking help getting this game running and then going back and forth with some people for a while. So you're kind of glad that this game was actually of some damn good because all of that would have been pretty I know. Yeah, so I played it for, I worked for, like, four or five hours for just no reason. Like, I did, just so I could play this game that I figured I'd probably play for, like, 20 minutes and then drop forever. And then I got playing it. Um, It's a 2D platformer type thing where the goal is to go continuously down into a big old shaft and all of the environments are destructible. You have a gun, grenades, and a rocket, and you have a limited number of grenades and rockets, and those are what can destroy the environment. There's a whole bunch of enemies that have pretty erratic attack patterns that you can kind of try to figure out how to best approach and figuring out this game and trying to like solve it was really, really rewarding. It goes to around to about 600 meters, which is like 10 minutes of playtime maybe. But it's getting there is really, really hard. Um, and I still haven't reached it yet. It's, I've gotten like 550. It's kind of designed like an arcade game where you're not really supposed to win. You're just supposed to get as far as you can. Um, and that's probably the one weakness of the game is that it's... Well, one of a couple weaknesses is that it's an old computer game and the frame rate is really low, so it's not doesn't really feel quite responsive. Kind of like a lot of old DOS platformers, but maybe a little worse. Mm-hmm. But there's also like really advanced physics for how your character moves around, and you have a rocket pack that boosts you up, but you don't. And if you fall too far, then you die. And if you go too fast upward and run into a ceiling, then you die. So it's so like very, sort of very early prototype spelunker in a way. Yes. Yeah, I get that a lot. And um, I felt a lot of that in Spelunky, too, with the destructible environments and just going down. Yeah. So this was just a very memorable experience, was getting this game running and having this piece of history that was basically lost and being able to recover it and then having it be this worthwhile, cool experience. Um made it as kind of a standout video game experience for me this year, awesome. which is why I wanted to talk about it. Awesome. Cool. So I guess we'll go to my number 10, which is Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Um, for me, uh, a lot of this game was really just about the visuals, the world, the characters, the voice acting, the story. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Not so much the mechanics or the combat or just the overall linearity of the game. It's just I really liked that world and how desolate it felt, but it still has this sort of uh, look of, you know, Mother Nature's pissed off and taking everything back. It just I really love the art direction. Um, yeah, it's and the, a very pretty game. And there are just so many great little vistas. Um, I, I ran into the problem of when I was writing up my text version of my game of the year. I was like, which screenshot do I use? This game has so many pretty places to just, you know, run around in. Um, <clears throat> uh, and it's sort of like, I, I guess, like, I would compare it maybe to Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, in a way. Because both of those games sort of have this straight-to-the-end narrative. Uh, and they're just more like, you know, just, hey, you're, you're, you're on an adventure that has a definite beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and it just does not slow down. Um, it just keeps you moving forward. And, you know, again, I just really like those characters. I like the world. Um, pretty much, you know, everything about it. So much so that the hang-ups I have with the combat and traversal um, and overall just how little they mean to the experience... Um, that I can forgive those um, those faults. Um, just yeah, if you can really enjoy just being in a place like it sounds like, then it's pretty easy to forgive a lot of those kind of faults. I feel like. Yeah, definitely, and 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 you know, it was definitely you know obviously one of my favorite games of the <laughs> year. So, um, hey, Rhett, I hear, yes. you, I hear you got a user list for us. Okay, get ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. This one is from Rock Grumbler. What up, Skibo? How goes it? Oh, Skibo, okay. It's Skibo, Rock Grumbler. He goes by like 4,000 yes. names. <laughs> but we love him just the same. He's the very reason we have an RSS feed, so. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. And now I'm going to read his email verbatim. Okay. Good Otacon, thank you, 2014. This list is presented in order from worst to best, where two is the best, one is the worst, and three is in the middle. They are all good games, though, so don't be judgmental. Number three, Don't Starve. I'm glad Tim Burton doesn't make video games. My dislike of Tim Burton films starts around 1989 and stays low until about 2001, where it then increases linearly. At this point in time, it has become a very high value. Don't Starve seems heavily inspired by Tim Burton's artistic influences. The art and slightly Elfman-esque music are reminiscent of early Burton, This turned me off the game when it was initially released. As 2014 rolled on and I found myself bored and out of video games to play, I discovered that Don't Starve had been released on the Vita. I decided to ignore my previous disposition and give it the old college try. I was pleased to find a very competent survival crafting roguelike game. I spent months playing around in this world and honing my virtual survival skills. I found the environment, environmental systems and resource collection to be very satisfying and competent. It scratched much of the same itch that playing survival in beta Minecraft did. I feel the art style in the game is simply something added onto a great gameplay system and not really vital to the game's enjoyment. Number two, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. These days, I can only play CS with voice chat turned off as my patience for hearing and receiving abuse from strangers online has dropped (laughs) to pretty much zero. When you turn off the public community voice chat, the game suddenly becomes a very competent and enjoyable shooter. My favorite thing about Counter-Strike is that once you lose round, that's it. There are no respawns until you jump timelines and suddenly your Counter-Terrorist is Groundhog Dayed 
back to the beginning of the operation with more or less money than it had before. This boredom-inducing punishment makes it imperative to approach situations carefully. It's a simple and effective way to make each round matter. I only play casual, and I don't really care when I lose. I just enjoy the gameplay loop, and periodically I can convince other people to play with me using a third-party chat tool like Mumble. Number three, Wolfenstein The New Order. Probably my favorite game of 2014. I'm not sure if it's the shock factor of that a Wolfenstein game can tell a good story, or that the gameplay was especially fun, or both. I really like this game. I like the alternate history sci-fi story. I like the humanization of B.J. Blazkowicz. I like shooting Nazis dead with guns and lasers. That's it. Thanks, Otacon. Good job. I, I really liked uh, two of those injuries. Uh, the Wolfenstein is definitely one of those games this year. Um, yeah. That was just like... You know, I haven't played it myself, but just, like, the raving around it is mm. just really surprising as to how much people really like that game. Um, so, yeah, definitely I think that's one to check out. Um, Don't yeah. Starve, um, pretty cool game in itself as well. Um, I've heard lots of really cool things about that Wolfenstein game, too. Just a yeah. couple people who are, like, raving about it pretty frequently. That's, like, my most want to play of this year. So, with that, we can move on. To our number nines, Mr. Rhett, give us your nine. Uh, my number nine is Rayman Legends. Fantastic! That game is really goddamn good, even though it's basically Rayman Origins Part 2. But it's it looks like it adds enough t- to the mix that it's not just complete rehash. It's it's not really a rehash, but it is just an iter- iterative sequel. Yeah. The biggest thing that they do is that instead of collecting, like, the hundreds of... Bums. Are they bums? Yeah. yeah. In the original game, like, to get 100% completion on a stage, you had to collect, like, 300 bums per level. And that made it really annoying when you wanted to replay a level, and, like, if you had screwed up and only gotten, like, 297... I ran into that a lot. You had to get them all over again? Yeah. So in Rayman Legends, what they do is... The completion is based on collectible guys that you find hidden through the levels, but obviously once you find one, they stay found, so replaying levels to get what you missed is much easier. That's much more sensible, too. Because there's like ten dudes per level, but like th- seven of them are pretty obvious, and then three or, or so are hidden in like the challenge rooms. Yeah. But Those games just, look really cool, and I'm really excited to play them at some point. Oh, just, it just looks looking, so pretty. The, the level design seems so much more on point uh, in that game than it does the original as well. Because I, I thought, like, you know, they had, you know, Rayman Origins, it's great. I think that's a fantastic game, but I think the level design really starts to suffer a bit about halfway through. Um, mm-hmm. But um, just from what I've seen of you know people that I like to watch um, stream or speedrun, um, yeah, watching Spike Vegeta play that game is a lot of fun. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that game definitely on my want to get. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately shackled to UPlay, which is a bummer. Uh, yeah, but you can't hold that against it in this kind of you know end of the year thing. I don't think. So yeah, just the visuals in that game and the music and the style and it's just it's a game I would describe as just like joyous, like you can't help but have fun. Playing yeah, that, that game, game both of those games exude joy in a very <laughs> fun and stupid way. Like those games are dumb and they're proud of it, and they're just running around with their arms flailing, tongue held out, screaming at you to join them. 
Yeah. And you can, you can play as a girl in this one. Even better. Which I really appreciate. I used uh, one of the skins for her the entire game. Awesome. And with that, I guess we will move on to John's number nine. Okay. Um, please don't hate me. Uh, <laughs> for number nine, I picked Sonic Adventure. I hate you. Oh, God. Out come the chairs. <laughs> I think this... I, yeah? I like Sonic Adventure. I know, right? Game. It's sweet. There's a pink bird, and, they, and their family gets back together, and it's nice. Every defense of this game now just goes back to, but there's a pink bird. But there's a pink bird, and it's, it's got a cute ending. Bird. There's a pink bird that reunites with its family. It's the best and twist you for a Sonic bring game bring it along. Ever. I know. It's really nice. And Tails and Eggman's climax there, that's really cool, too. There's a lot of really cool things in that game. I like it a lot. <clears throat> I'll, I'll avoid disparaging you because this is your list. This is your big time to shine. It's a happy I'm, time. It's a happy time. I'm going to put on my smiley face and pretend <laughs> I don't give a shit about you bringing Sonic Adventure into my goddamn podcast again. Sorry. Yeah, the Kagari Nakitatakai and Sonic Adventure aren't really, I don't know, fun or, or good. Um, Makes the just... perfect candidates for an end of the year list. Well, yeah, okay. but I... I looked at all the, the really good games, and this they were the ones that really resonated deeply with me versus all of the good ones, so. You're a weirdo. All right, so that's Sonic Adventure. Uh, my number nine. Sometimes I like games that are just painfully wrote and would probably be annoying to most people, and it seems like they're probably really stupidly unfair uh, because there's no way you can know a level and beat it the first time you see it. Uh, but I really like those games like that sometimes, which is why I really like Volgar the Viking as number nine. Um, the game yes. just, like... I have this insatiable urge, I guess, to just have a game mercilessly beat my ass and me know that to some degree it's kind of unfair. Um... But at the same time, I like overcoming those odds, which is why I really like Contra games a lot, because they have a lot of the same kind of, you know, stick with it and you'll get it, you dummy. Um, and that's really where my love of that game comes from. And I think that it's sort of like a better rendition of the the formula that games like Super Ghosts and Goblins go at, because um, I feel that uh, Volgar is more empowered, um, than Arthur ever was. He he's he's just as fragile, you know. You'll still take hits and lose equipment, but he has so many offensive options with like, you know, the spear and his shield actually shields most attacks in the game surprisingly. Um and I found that just sort of getting into the bit of depth that that game has and learning how to tackle stages faster uh, is a really cool experience, and watching speedruns of that game is simply crazy. Um, but I, I just like the versatility of the character overall, you know, like and the way the levels are just perfectly designed around the character, and they're also perfectly designed with the intent of, yeah, I'm going to beat your ass. Um, all of the enemies have just really simple, like, one or two frame attacks, um, the bosses are all very pattern-based. 
you know, so there's no way that if you don't know what you're doing and you haven't studied the and you've studied the boss's pattern, you know, that you're gonna, you know, you're going to overcome the obstacle at some point. Um, so yeah, Bulgar the Viking. If you're looking for something along the lines of like a Super Ghouls and Ghosts, go give that a look. It'll drive you crazy, but if you're into that, it'll drive you crazy in a really good way. I have a feeling I'll play that eventually. I think you should. I think that even though it's super rote, I think you'll still like it. Yeah, I think I'm going to really enjoy that just because I like that kind of just memorized game at times. I thought you hated memorizing games. When did I ever tell you that? I said the opposite. I uh, Whatever. I really like that. (laughs) I think you alternate every other day. Oh, sorry. All right. So, John, I hear that you've got a reader-submitted list for us. Yes, I do have a reader-submitted list. It's Zellaz, a.k.a. Bill's, top three games of 2014. What up, Zellaz? And this one has a really special number three. Does it? Um, Number three, for the PC, John and Anna are having a dance party, and it's pretty fun, I guess, by John Thayer and Anna and Anna Thayer. How much did you pay him to put that there? <laughs> um, nothing. It was a complete surprise to me, and it made me feel really nice. It's about ethics and gaming podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I'll read off his thing. He said, <clears throat> I'll be honest. I was more than, more confused than anything by John and Anna's heartfelt game when I first downloaded it. I didn't think it was so much of a game as it was an interactive computer thingy. Press buttons, stuff happens. Nothing beyond that, really. The simplicity confused me, who was expecting something more traditionally game-like, with objectives and obstacles and the like. But then I thought about what it, this so-called game, was trying to do in its almost inane simplicity. It was then I learned to appreciate it for what it was, an honest-to-God dance party simulator thing. I mean, of course, there's no end goal or levels or whatever to it. Parties and celebrations aren't about that. Dance parties, to my limited knowledge of them, are about having somewhat disorganized fun. The game does what it was set out to do, mostly because it lacks traditional game elements. I'm probably overanalyzing things here, or not, but this was the game that got me to appreciate games in general as art pieces. A sort of epiphany moment, I guess. That's why I hold it in such high regard. Damn, that's some pretty high praise. (laughs) Can Can you hear me beaming through the microphone? Yeah. I heard your boner crash through the ceiling. I got it. I liked interactive computer thingy. Yeah, that that's what really I, that's nice. what, that's what I call all video games really though. Are interactive computer things? I know, right? Yeah. It's almost as good as the number 2 entry on his list. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, do y'all have anything you want to say about Dance Party before we move on? Feel free to feel free to <laughs> say some stuff. Feel free to like. stroke the oligo. If, if there's like. any if there's any like praise that you've held underneath your in your side and you just wanted to let it gush forth and now would be a great time i liked it cool all right number two. Oh man y'all are gonna love this one even more saga makai toshi saga for the wonder swan color known in the united states as the final fantasy legend this game was later remade for the wonder swan color and only released in japan which is the version that zelaz played um quote I swear to God, you guys, this game is legit good. You sound so desperate there. <laughs> I swear, guys. Or at least this fan-translated revision of it. 
No, the original's good, too. It adds quite a few features to make the game more accessible, i.k.a. boring, while maintaining the general look and tone of the original. It's still a very random game, but at least you now have three slave sl- save slots to look at. <laughs> Slaves- save slots to work with. <laughs> Just in case you happen to save yourself into an unwinnable situation. So, yeah, in this remake, ugh, ugh. if you save yourself into an unwinnable situation, there's a way out of it. <laughs> that sounds terrible! <laughs> But I think the experience of playing it alongside the others is what got me to really like this game, alongside others. I mean, I've dabbled with the game multiple times in the past, but I never had an incentive to really learn its different eccentricities until recently. I'd say it's a case of misery loves company, but nothing about it really seems miserable. Saga is a short and sweet RPG that nicely condenses the genre to a portable fun format. I had more fun with it than Pokemon Y, at least. Ooh. Why? Shots, Ooh, bird. Fired. Why? Yeah. <laughs> so... That's Saga, that's Saga 1 for the Wonderswan, and I looked at it, and it looks really cool, and if you like for your games to be more accessible and clearly <laughs> designed and make sense, then maybe that's the version you want to go with if you're a boring person. Oh, playability. Um, and also it has, like, Wonderswan graphics, which are kind of nice, but I like the... Game Boy graphics a little more. But nevertheless, good good choice, Xelos. Awesome. Yes, you like the black and white one. How surprising. Yes. Mm-hmm. Alright, number one. Spelunky for the PC. <clears throat> Not Excellent choice. This. Excellent choice. Uh, I don't know. Didn't really resonate with me as deeply as the first two. But oh well. Not having played this in a while, I wasn't sure about placing it so high on my list. But it is probably the only non-RPG title I've sunk a considerable amount of time into this year. Being a fan of roguelites and the aesthetic and difficulty of Spelunker, this game really hit a lot of high notes for me. And aside from the main game, comparing my often abysmally low daily challenge scores with those of my friends, and then talking about it with friends really made this game special for me during a a hectic first third of the year. Excellent. Not a bad list. Not a bad list. Order's a little off, I think. It's pretty good. (laughs) It's upside down. Yeah, so there you go. That's Zelaz's. <laughs> Thank, you, Zelaz. Thank you, Zelaz. Thank you, Zelaz. And with that, we will track I back. your list. We will track back around to the start of our cycle with Monsieur Rhett. Give us I, your number eight. My number eight is motherfucking Saints Row 4. Damn, son. That game is awesome. <laughs> I've actually played this one, and yes. Oh, have you? How much yeah, have you played I've, it? I, I've played about four hours of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I know that it's damn good just from those four hours. It's a game that, like, it likes its source material. Like, the stuff it's making fun of, it, it's not malicious. It's just a, a celebration of, like, video games and pop culture and being stupid. It's also just, like... It's sort of like we made a game where all the cheats are permanently turned on. Yeah. Here's all the cool shit. You can just have it. We don't care if this game is unbalanced as fuck or that it's easy. Go have fun, dog. Yeah, it's a game about just being powerful and strong and fun. And I think it's, ironically, it ends up being like the best Matrix game ever made. <laughs> because I, the, yeah. Because the conceit of it is straight up. In the simulation, you're Neo, and you can, like, jump over buildings and shit and fucking fly. And then in the real world, you shoot guns and stuff. It just fucking power running everywhere feels so good. It's like, why are there... I love the fact that there are cars and you can still get in them. But why would you want to when you can just run everywhere? 
the running, the jumping, like the shooting fireballs. It's just like they beat the shit out of Infamous or any other game that has tried that formula. Yeah. Just because of the lack of restraint they give you. Yeah, just the movement feels really good, but I really just like the tone of the content in there. Like, there's so many video game parodies that aren't just like mean spirited. Like, there's a big Metal Gear Solid part. And it's not. Just- it's not done for the sake of just like, oh, here's our dumb little Mario thing. Look at that, guys. We know what Mario is. It's not like that. They're, yeah, it's not like... These are elaborate. It's not pandering. It's more celebration. Like, right. we love video games. Here's a video game-ass fucking video game. <laughs> also The Matrix. Also The Matrix, yes. <laughs> like... God, that game is just, yeah, I really want to sink my teeth more into that one. Uh, It's just stupid and fun in all the right ways. The writing is so fucking good. Yeah. I think, in the end, I might probably like it a little bit more than Saints Row the Third, which is also a really good game, but Saints Row 4 just goes so much crazier with it. Yeah, it just goes all in. It is no apologies. It's just like, yeah. bam, here it is. All the crazy you can handle. And it's even oh, like a... Those games ce- look really, really fun. It's even like a celebration of its own history where, like, there's references to Saints Row 1 in there that went totally over my head, but yeah, I could tell what they were doing. It's really awesome that they, like, they didn't get so far up their own ass in what they were doing with Saints Row 3 that they just, like, completely forgot what Saints Row 1 and 2 were. Yeah. They still acknowledge that, and I, th- I imagine that has to be a really big, um, you know, sort of a, a, a thing for the fans who stuck mm-hmm. with the series all the way through and see those cl- like callbacks to those older games. I think that's really cool of them to have uh, approached Saints Row 4 in the way they did. Yeah, and I just wonder what the hell they're going to do next. Well, they got the Get Out of Hell. Um, uh, yeah, I meant for like the next an main actual main Saints Row 5. Saints Row I keep hearing people saying they're going to go back to being a little more restrained and serious. Yeah, I just don't know how they do that after this game. Yeah, it's just, I, I hope mean, they I, haven't, like, you know, pigeonholed themselves a bit. Yeah, because it's like, you don't know how they go crazier than this, but then you also don't know how you step back from it and go more modest. Yeah, that's a so. that's not an enviable position to be in. Yeah. Hopefully Get Out of Hell is good, at least. So? So, <laughs> yeah, so with that, John... Tell me about eight. All right. Number eight on my list is Metal Gear Ghost Babble for the Game Boy Color. A very, very good Metal Gear game. Isn't it, though? It's, it's really so good. good. It, it's so... Like, its mechanics are such... They're married so well from both Metal Gear Solid and, like, the MSX games. Absolutely. Um, and that's it's really... It's just what really I, fun to play. And that's what I really liked about it. And that, and I think that its graphical presentation is probably one of the strongest on the Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. I really like... You can really feel the increased clock rate. The animations are just so smooth. Oh, yeah. Everything about that game Ooh. is just real Ooh. smooth and just like... It, I don't think I've seen that kind of smoothness aside from Shantae. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just really feels like a, one of the few games that really put the Game Boy Color to good use, it feels like. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, like, if you if you owned a Game Boy Color and you ended up with that game, like, that was the reason you got a Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely... Yeah. It does, and, I, and I really liked how the story was presented, too. I felt like they kind of did a pretty good job of melding the um, some of the MGS stuff with the more arcade normal, um, the more arcade like, 
video game, Game Boy Color game. Yeah, which is more like stage based and rankings and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's got a very uh, portable game feel to it. It's a game that's very mm-hmm. conscious that it's a portable game, so it doesn't try to go too all out with you know keeping you in a level for very long but at the same time there's still enough meat in those individual challenges that Mm -hmm. you know you'll be which differentiates it from like metal gear solid one which is very much felt like sit down story sit down and play this for three hours or longer because you're going to need it Mm -hmm. and i guess i'd probably it'd be way up higher on the list there's a couple spots in that game that feel kind of poorly thought out Mm -hmm. there's this big long um, sorting box maze to go through, and it takes a really long time I, to do it. Yeah, mazes kind can, can yeah. kind of ruin everything. Yeah, that, so that was a little dreadful. And once I got past that, it was mostly smooth sailing. Um, there's a thing with electrified water pits where it's kind of hard to doesn't really do a good job of showing which ones are electrified and which aren't. So I just kind of ran into water pits. Yeah, and just and the final boss, the second to final boss against the Metal Gear fight was really hard. <laughs> Almost unreasonably like, so. Yeah, I think I think it could kind of tap into unreasonably. So I had a save state right before the actual fight, mm-hmm. which meant I didn't have to go down the really long atmospheric hallway every time. Yeah, which is a really cool effect the first time. Uh-huh. So that that fight got that fight seemed ridiculous to me, but um but yeah, aside from those little quibbles, design quibbles, I think the whole package is just really well made and I really like that game a lot. Absolutely. And my number eight is a game that I just, it kind of surprised me that it exists, and it surprises me that it caught as much attention as it did, because doing humor in video games is really stupid hard. You know, you see so many people fail at it um, spectacularly these days, Uh, but my number eight is Jazz Punk, and I think Rhett played this, didn't you? Yeah, I finally finished this over the last week. What'd you think? Uh, I thought it got better as it went. Definitely. The the last area was just pretty firing on all cylinders. It's just, this is a game that from top to bottom is just a nonstop joke fest. There are, I mean, and and the best thing, you know, like, the best advice I can give anybody playing Jazz Punk is, like, yeah, there is, like, a mission-critical path for every episode, but you are missing out on so much content if you do not just, like, search around every area and every little nook and cranny to, to, to find every little gag and visual cue or just dumb fucking like audio cues just out of nowhere and sometimes they're just so esoteric and random and other times they're just like these very quick one-off fucking uh, just just quick jokes or references and then you've got like crazy elaborate set pieces like a fucking wedding cake based uh, yeah. <laughs> first person like it's a fake online first person shooter quake uh, but it's wedding quake uh, and you have, you know, fucking wedding cakes and shit as guns, and this is a thing you play. Um, there, yeah. And it I, just, thought, <laughs> I think Wedding Quake was definitely the high point of that game. I've seen a lot of people mention it. Yeah, that that's is, pretty beautiful. It's the the length with which it goes to just like throw all of this humor out the window. I would almost say that there's enough for everybody. 
but it might not appeal to everybody because it is a very like honed sense of humor. Like it is like it's definitely leaning more towards the absurdist side of things. Um, but it makes all of these tasteful references to things that are either vaguely familiar, and even if they're not familiar, the joke might actually still hit with the way that they tell it. Um, and it's just, I, I found myself just laughing out loud the whole time I played it. I played through it in one entire uh, sitting, uh, and I usually don't do that these days, but I, I played that game like three or four hours straight and went back the next day just to go into levels again just to see... Like, if there was anything else that I had missed, and I had, because even as thorough as I was searching this game for all of its secrets and funny little gags, um, there was still more to find, and it's just uh, just amazing the amount of content that's in that game for, you know, it, it, it's a little on the short side, but if you spend your time with it and you really like what they're doing with the story and the humor... You are in for just a really spectacular piece of video gaming that, like, I-, I think is amazing even exists. Because, like I said, humor in video games is stupidly hard to do, and they really knocked it out of the park with jazz punk. That's another one I have on my Steam queue that I'm really excited to get to. Just take a couple hours, take three hours, and just however long, and just, just let it, it. Just let it wash it over you. Me. Let it wash over you. Just enjoy appreciate it. the magic of jazz punk. Yeah, that's basically what you have to do. I, I turned a friend loose on it at my um, when he was visiting once, and it, he sat there for a good two or three hours just poking oh, around cool. it, just poking around at the first two or three chapters, and it was just like, yeah, you know, this this game's got something. Um, so yeah, that's Jazz Punk. It's amazing. Everybody should play it. And I guess we're moving on to me for a user list. Sure. And my first user list is from one Miss the lovely Chelsea Celestial Blade. Um, everybody knows her. Everybody loves her. Uh, and as Rhett said before the show got underway, <laughs> Chelsea's is rather thick. It's really thick. It's big and meaty. I'm going to have to grasp this thing with two hands. So... Um, uh, she has these listed as one, two, three, and I don't know if she wants them listed, um, in three to one, but that's the order I'm going to go with. So, uh, at number three, she has East Memories of Celsetta for the PS Vita, and she says, I had anticipated this game so much that I nearly considered buying a Vita for the sole purpose of playing it, but I ended up working out a deal that I would borrow my friend's Vita to play it if I let him borrow the game. As a longtime fan of the East series, even though I'm not as big a fan of the East 7 battle system versus the Nafishtim Oath origin top-down style, I was beside myself waiting for this game to come out, largely for the lure. The game, cer- <clears throat> the game certainly disappoints from this standpoint as a canonical fusion of the two original East 4 games, Mask of the Sun and Dawn of East. There was quite a bit of story to tell, and Falcom did a seamless job trying to get, tra- <clears throat> a seamless job tying this game into the overall storyline. I think she meant to say that... Um, It didn't disappoint? It didn't disappoint. Okay. There were plenty of references to Origin 1 and 2 and Ark of Nafishtim, which made me a very happy camper, and its own story stood on its own quite well. 
while the lore was awesome, the gameplay left a bit to be desired for a long-time East fan. Salsetta was basically an enhanced version of the Seven system, which wasn't bad by any means, but the game had next to no challenge for an East title. The fact that you could carry 99 of each healing item uh, and the flash guard system just really took any difficulty uh, out of even the most damaging bosses. Overall, it was a fun ride, but it just didn't have the exhilarating feeling that the other games left me with. Also, you can't jump, right? Uh, no, you can't jump in East 7 or Falsetta. Oh, um, oh. I, I, I liked East 7 from, I guess, a mechanical standpoint, but she, yeah, she's definitely right, and that game was really easy up until maybe, like, one or two bosses that just frustrated me to no end. Um... But I definitely prefer the with her. I definitely prefer Nafishtim Wanderson for Wanderers from East and uh, Origins uh, battle systems to that. Um, moving on to number two, Dead or Alive Five Ultimate. She likes boobies. Another highly anticipated title for me this year, DOA Five, was a long-awaited continuation of my all-time favorite fighting game series, and given. What a disappointment for was, the entire DOA community had enormously high expectations for the latest installment. The fifth chapter of Team Ninja's fighting series certainly did not disappoint. One of the most important things to me in a fighting game is having plenty of stuff to unlock and earn, like previous Ultimate titles in, <clears throat> and, and other games like Soul Calibur 4. I like plenty of offline content, and DO5 is chock full of it. Some unlock <clears throat> from unlockable costumes to a million titles to earn from doing all of the <clears throat> the combo challenges there's plenty to do and it's a lot of fun doing it it's even got a surprisingly good story mode that's actually worth doing there's a strong cast of characters from the mainstays of characters uh, from mainstays to characters from previous games to brand new fighters and I was surprised how balanced everyone seemed Hitomi's still my girl to no surprise although I'm finding new characters like Marie Rose are becoming a good fit for me as well the gameplay itself is the most solid I've ever experienced in a fighting game it doesn't cater to button mashers but the combos are also aren't ridiculous that a beginner can't jump in and have fun it's everything for should have been and so much more I guess not much to say on that. I'm not. I, uh, yeah. D the DOA series never quite clicked with me. Um, I've but, never played any. But it's but it's 3D fighters in general just don't click with me for some reason. I just it, even the 3D Mortal Kombat games just weren't that great for me. Um, and I just don't know anything about them. <laughs> yeah. And, Boobies. Uh, That's boobie? true. I didn't know that. Boobies. About. Yes, there's there's a lot of very weird booby physics in those games. It's very strange. Boobs don't behave like that. I think like I knew that. about the volleyball <laughs> game before I did know about the knew that they were fighting games first. Boobs don't work like that, John. That's not how boobs work. Okay. One day okay. they will. One day they will. <laughs> and her number one. It's going to take me seven hours to read this because she wrote <laughs> an entire review. Tales of Graces F. <clears throat> I have a very strict list of criteria that I judge all RPGs by. There are others, like music, uh, that Celtic battle theme, and art style, but I consider these three the most important in order of priority. Gameplay. Oh man, was this game fun. This game takes the fast-paced system I love so much from Tales of Destiny R and manages to make it even better somehow. 
The revised CC combo-based system was brilliantly done and made me appreciate how lame an idea the TP-slash-MP system is. It's the most fun RPG system I, I have ever played, and it's, not e- and it's not even close. Sophie is just too fun to play as. Moving on, her second criteria is characters. I kind of lump design and personality into the game cri- <clears throat> into the same criteria, and the cast of and the cast of Grace's F doesn't disappoint. I found Sophie to be an incredibly intriguing character and is easily one of my favorites of all time. Joining the ranks of folks like Adol, Chelsea, little, little getting a little uh, full of yourself, aren't you, Magus, and others. In addition to her, I found this to be an incredibly refreshing cast that meshes better than any other Tales group I've seen, often to hilarious ends. They could have not they could have not they could not have come up with a better combination of personalities than this. Sure, Asbel's an airhead, but there's no but there's no brooding characters or annoying mascots or characters that don't seem to contribute to anything of worth. And they're all bound together by an incredibly brilliant childhood arc, which is one of the most clever ways of setting the stage and tying all the characters together that I've seen thus far. And her last criteria is story. Graces gets a lot of flack for having a predictable story. And it is. I'm not going to argue about that because, I mean, Lunar has a pretty... Um, predictable story in and of itself, but it's so brilliantly told. Um, But it's how it's put together that I thought was quite innovative and very touching to me personally. As good as the emotionally driven plot of the main arc is, it's the future arc that really got to me. In short, it's largely focuses on dealing with loss of loved ones, a concept I can relate to all too well. Same here, sister. And is very charming to take on it. Uh, It's a very charming take on it, something that even I was able to learn from. I also like how the final conflict is resolved in a mutual understanding, not one side being right, as so many games beat into our heads. I loved how none of the villains were really evil at all. Overall, a very, very possibly my favorite RPG of all time. That's some bold words right there. That's a lot of words. (laughs) That's a thick. That is a very (laughs) thick and meaty list. So I hear that Brett, you might have another list for us. Uh, sure. Oh, (laughs) yes. This is a short one from Byron Helcher. Top three PC games of 2014 that also describe my sex life. Oh snap! Number one, Faster Than Light. (laughs) Number two, Goat Simulator. Number three, Gods Will Be Watching. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love you, Byron. You are the best. (laughs) Oh my god, Byron. Oh, I'm so glad. Byron, you need to get your ass back to the forums and post more or contribute more to the site or be on the podcast or something. I fucking love you, dude. Get at me, dog. Um, (laughs) Moving on from that. Hey, Rhett, what's your number seven? My number seven is Shadow of the Colossus. Damn, that's a big one. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. You do. Yes, it's a big one after Eco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that game's really good. Yeah, that game. Yo, yeah, Shadow of the Colossus is really good. 
I'm aware that you two are quite fans of that game. I quite enjoy me some Shadow of the Colossus. Been thinking Shadow about re- been thinking about replaying it lately. So yeah, I'm thinking about replaying it because it's like because I did kind of just play through the game and finish it and then move on to the next one. And then every time I see a video of it, it's just like, oh man, I want to play that game. Oh, that again. game was really good, wasn't it? I should go do those time trials or like hard mode. Oh yeah, they're, they're really hard, but they're satisfying. Yeah. So that's a game where just the boss fights are just so incredibly satisfying and the climbing mechanics and being thrown around and stabbing them in the head is just so visceral and exciting and for a puzzle game, it essentially. Just, <laughs> it just, the, the, they managed to nail the feeling of being on this really big thing so yeah. well. It's just like you feel yourself, be, like you see your character just being whipped around just like, and it's like, God, that's got to freaking hurt. Um, but yeah. God, it, just, it it looks so good in motion, and I can't stress enough that you know if you can get the PS3 version, definitely because yeah. it's just it performs so much better. It looks so much more gorgeous in action. God damn, what a good game! I have a feeling at this point you couldn't get the PS2 one. It would probably be like a hundred dollars or something. Nah, I'm pretty sure that's crashed as as of. This oh really? Point. Well, it's been re-released, so I'm. I'm oh, sure. they got a greatest hits release, I think. Uh-huh. Oh okay. I figured that would be a sought-after game, but yeah, if they did a release, then the PS3 one. I guess the PS3 one is actually based off the European version, which is way harder. Is it? Yeah, apparently your stamina goes down way faster in the PS3 and European versions. Oh, wow, I have that version of the game, uh, because I have uh, the Eco and Shadow of the Colossus collection, but I played through it on PS2. I have yet to actually play yeah. through it on PS3, other than uh, up to like the first seven or eight Colossi, and it didn't really seem that much harder, but it might have just been the amount of time I spent between Yeah. Them. But, uh, just the spectacle in that game, too. Like, some of the later ones where you're, like, on a flying creature, and just you can see the entire world in the background as you're crawling around on it. Yeah, like, game, games like God of War go for spectacle in the same way, but I just don't think they nail it the way Shadow of the Colossus did, because it's so laser-focused on that concept. And plus, Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, I haven't played God of War, so I can't really speak to that, but in Shadow of the Colossus, like, when you're seeing the background, that's actually places you can go and ride around on the horse. Like, yeah. It's not faking anything. It's just yeah, really that, cool. that world is yours to explore to how, you know, to whatever yeah. ends you want. And it's yeah. just got a great resolution. And the ending is freaking nuts. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. so good. That that climax Ooh. with the final Ooh. Colossus. It ends, Ooh. and then it ends, and then it ends. It just keeps Ooh. it keeps climaxing in a way that in only, a, way a, por- that only quite... a porn star could. <laughs> yeah. We're both going for dirty jokes there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that game is a classic for a reason. So, John... I hear you got a number seven for me. I do have a number seven for y'all. Hit me, dog. All right. Are you ready? Go. Are you ready? I think there's somebody here who might be oh. happy it's here. Oh. But unhappy that it's that it's not higher. But Man. um, all right. It's Hunter's Relic of the Stars. I That's totally thought you were going to fake me out there. <laughs> no, no. This is – I really, really liked Hunter's Relic of the Stars. I think it's Relic of Stars. Yeah, I was about to say, too bad you don't know that there's no the in the title. The Relic of the Stars? The yes, Hunters? It's, it's relic the Relic of the, of the The Hunters, the Relic of the Stars. The Hunters, the Relics of the Stars. The Space Adventures of the Space Karina. Episode 2. <laughs> A New Hope. 
Part one. <laughs> a new dope. So yeah, Hunter's Relic of the Stars is like a six-hour Flash game where you... It's a platformer, and it's action-packed, and it has a bunch of really cool contra set pieces. And it just keeps kind of pushing forward and gets keeps getting better as it moves along. And it just keeps getting better and keeps getting better. By the end, it's just completely nuts. And I absolutely adore that game. Yeah. Uh, I, I've, it's, it's like, I don't think of that game as a Flash game. I really don't. Uh, I know. As, with as much as I've played it and as much as that I've been through it and, you know, just from top to bottom, it, it's a game that I like to go back to because it has so many of the hallmarks that I like in a good game. Really tight controls, great level design. It has a sense of progression that just, you know... As you go further into this game, it just things keep getting crazier and crazier and crazier, and you're asked more and more and more. But it does good at preparing you for those those segments, and yeah, that's God is such a good game. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I really I think what put it over the edge was when there's the um, post final boss escape sequence, <laughs> and then you fight the recurring mini boss throughout the whole game it's, during that escape sequence it's a great moment that during it's beta just, that during just beta perfect. testing i almost broke somebody's face <laughs> oh we tell, can i say exactly what happened go sure for it. so at the very end you fight mizar one last time she's got a full health bar and like 20 new moves or something and you're and on a time beat, limit and, and you're on a time <laughs> limit. but then you beat her and you jump on the ship and she starts chasing you again and that's the one place in the game where I didn't put a checkpoint on purpose. <laughs> I so almost Pauly, broke Rhett's face. So Polly died there and got sent back to the first fight and was just like, fucking, I have to do this later. <laughs> no, I think I think the only part where I actually stopped was the um the zero gravity portion. Where um <laughs> where it was actually the boss that I created. Yeah, yeah. I, I had to stop. Boss. I had to stop for like five or ten minutes and recompose myself because I hated my own boss. That's really funny. And that's how it always turns out too. I created the drill boss too <laughs> in um. Oh god. In Project N three two. Yeah. And I hated that boss too. <laughs> it was like <laughs> these are my ideas and I fucking hate them. Oh my god. Yeah, that game's redonkulous and really fun, especially the whole back half with um, four or five and six. Mm-hmm. That those yeah. are just absolute gold the whole way through. I love them. Yeah, yeah. You you will be you know forgiven if you think that it's got a bit of a slow start. Mm-hmm. First first stage is a little slow, but stick with it. Just trust yeah. us. It's, it's really like, good. It's just it, teaching you the basics. Think of it. You can. I, I just thought of it as like a serialized game. It only you released it all at once, but like you made you kept making these things over like multiple seasons and then getting them. Figuring this stuff out and getting better and better. It was just really yeah, that's, cool that's, to see that progression. That's something that I really enjoyed seeing from the game was just how well he had become at developing and putting mm-hmm. things together and making Flash do things that it's just like, I how? Mm-hmm. How? Yeah, it was the same feeling that I got when me and John were working on KATB. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like like the further we got in development, like we watched that engine go from like this really basic kind of clunky scrolling and jumping, and then we got something that worked really well, and then the world started coming together, and it yeah, just, it, yeah, it was really nice. It's a beautiful game because <laughs> we're beautiful people. It's true, we're awesome. 
But it didn't have 20 boss fights. It did not have 20 boss fights, unfortunately. <laughs> we didn't have time. Mm. You can kiss the moon, though. You can kiss the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can kiss the moon in Hunters. No. Can you actually, ki- actually, never mind. I think my number seven is KATB. Oh. <laughs> Red got Fuck. robbed! I knew it was a fake out. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's your number seven? Yep, that's my number seven. My that's number seven is a shock even to me because go Polly, you don't like mobile games but i absolutely adore monument valley um i I talked about this on the last episode (laughs) i believe but this game is just gorgeous top to bottom it you just feel nice playing it you know I, i i've never played a game that just made me feel like that relaxed and that good and like it the way that they designed you know their puzzles it they're not designed to be super mega challenging or anything but they're still they're still going to sort of twist your brain in a way it's not frustrating it's you can relax you can have a good time there's no penalty for screwing up because you really can't screw up Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's just hey, ha- just figure those little puzzles you know, out. Bef- you know, for those that don't know what it is, it's this cute little traversal game that's got an MC Escherish look to it. I guess you would say, um, and you know, you walk up the walls and around the sides of things, and it's just all about you know using the touch screen to play with various devices to you know just just move things around to make sure that you can get to the top or to the bottom and just the way some of those levels progress just it's it's just a really brilliant game the art style uh i really like the simple character designs they're just they're effective they're adorable the the levels themselves are absolutely gorgeous um yeah i was like i wouldn't compare it to Fez, because with Fez, you know, you're actively rotating the world, and, you know, the, me- the main mechanic is to find things hidden, whereas in Monument Valley, it's still a static image, but you have to sort of think of it in 3D, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, and I, I said it on the last podcast as well, I, I really hope this game gets some kind of PC release, because I really want people like Rhett to play it and just, yes. see, and, and just be like, ah, oh, this is this feels nice. You know, I had fun just like doing one or two levels a night and then putting it down and going to sleep because it's, it's a nicely relaxing game. It's got a great soundtrack. Um, God, it, it, just everything about Monument Valley is fantastic. And, you know, I if you, completely if you f- love that, ga- love that game. And I don't like paying for mobile games, but my fucking $3 or whatever, totally deserved. <laughs> just go, go play it. You know, it's on yeah, iOS. Well it's on iOS. It's on Android. It, it's basically on everything that matters. There's some DLC out now with like eight new stages uh, that I want to get to as well. They're uh, really good. I really like them. So yeah, Monument Valley. Check it. Radical. Radical. And John, here you yeah. got a user list for us. I do. This one is for Freezing Inferno. Who's that? Um, he is a dude on socks make people sexy and he's a good friend and he has a big youtube presence and he's cool never heard of him oh, okay all right oh this <laughs> game Psh. all right number one is shovel knight hey i know that game yeah 
Shovel Knight is one finely crafted new old game, that's for sure. In fact, it might be the most finely crafted old video game because it knows what it's doing. It takes its action platforming cues from Mega Man, DuckTales, and Castlevania, among others, but it doesn't let those elements in solely to make you nostalgic for the NES. It fine-tunes them and makes them all work within the confines of the game. Shovel Knight isn't a nostalgia bomb dressed up in pixel art. It's also a really damn good game. All praise to the Yacht Club alchemists. Yeah, that game gets by on its own merits easily. Yeah. It doesn't, well, need, the, it doesn't need the retro label to, to be a success. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I now, mention? if you're... Yeah, yeah. Read. One thing about this list is that they aren't actually numbered. Yeah, they're not ordered. Okay. You said number one, but it's just three yeah. games. Number A, Shovel Knight. <laughs> All right, so now a, a much better choice, I think, for people who don't like their games to be fun or oh, well designed or good or well made or have a great story or <laughs> be generally cohesive and coherent artistic experiences <laughs> and yeah if you like all that shit then you can go play shovel knight now if you are like me in fresno number two or b is the final fantasy legend you're um, not gonna fool me that's a saga game <laughs> also known as makai toshi saga and unlike Zelos, he picked the original game boy version which is much much less intuitive and much harder to understand and generally easier to get stuck in and have and to restart the game from the start. better because of it. All right. <clears throat> Here's what Fresno had to say. I, I don't know how 2014 got me to appreciate an Akitoji Kawazu game, but here we are. I beat Final Fantasy II in 2007, and it was the first time I ever vowed that I would never play a specific game again. <laughs> it's, its mechanics were not just obtuse, but almost counterintuitive, and exploiting them was a mindless chore that offered no reward. Final Fantasy Legend, by contrast, lets you choose your level of of obtuse and weird mechanics with a party selection. It's a strange and wonderful world where people gain and lose abilities at random and you have a zombie eat goblin meat to become a plant monster, but there's more to it than that. Final Fantasy Legend introduces a lot of strange and heavy themes in its back half, but because it's one of the first games on the Game Boy, it does not have the space to be verbose about it, like, say, an RPG from the PS1 era. The bare amount of explanation is given, and the side effect this has is that it gives the game this sense of mystery. You run from a Chinese myth phoenix in a post-apocalyptic world, Tokyo, and you never find out why. You find a room full of dead children and get a nuclear weapon from one of their corpses. You never know how or why these things happen, and that sets the speculation going and creates this weird sense of dissonance. Add a little gonzo dungeon design and some metafiction at the end where you actually fight a representation of Akitoshi Kawazu himself... And you get something that sticks in the mind, even if it is just a dinky little Game Boy RPG. Good job, Kwazu. Please don't kill me when I play Unlimited Saga. Me will. So, yeah, I think we can all agree that, obviously, Saga 1 is the best choice there. Oh, I totally agree. We all agree. Every single person listening to this podcast right now agrees. Mm -hmm. And if things keep going at this rate, that might wind up being the official Socks Make People Sexy Game of the Year. Yeah, why not? I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> Assuming not more people, no, nobody else picks Shovel Knight. Who would pick a playable game? I know, right? It's Ugh. so plebeian. Ugh. Ugh. Such a, Ugh. Bad, such a bad taste, isn't it? Ugh. The taste, of, know, taste of fucking casual. Shovel Knight yeah. is the triple king. It's because the point. what? It, the ha- it has the triple fish. King. It has the trapple king. Mmm. I don't know though. Final Fantasy Legend has dead kids. Watch, watch that. <laughs> wow. de- okay, okay. Put 
the Triple King song behind the dead kid scene. <laughs> and we'll see which emerges on top. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> All right. All right. Number C. Dangan Ron Paul 2. Goodbye Despair. I, I got only, a very. I only know about this series. So dang it, Ron Paul! Um, I got a very nice surprise in my mailbox this fall. It was one of those Vita machines and both of the Danganronpa games. This is a series that I followed at first, like most people, via the infamous Let's Play on Something Awful. Playing the games was so much better. The original Danganronpa was a ride, but I knew everything that would happen thanks to the LP. Not so with Danganronpa too. The LP or had abandoned it midway, possibly because the Vita localization had been confirmed. So I went into unknown territory. And not knowing what happened was that I had my mind blown after twist by twist after twist. Manana 2 is my game of the year because it made me feel something. It made me laugh, and yeah, you know what? It made me cry. I shed a tear when an anime girl in my Vita died. I have no shame. <laughs> has the power to do that to me. Over God knows how many hours, I made friendships, watched it as those friendships were violently snuffed out by murder, and battled for my very life in a courtroom to find the one who killed them. Multiple times I did this dance. I vowed to solve all of the remix mysteries of the Jabberwock Island because I cared. Because I wanted to avenge these little lumps of pixels who talked to me via recording of a voice actor or actress did in a booth. That's the hold the game had over me. It made me give a damn. I solved it all, though, and I endured the ever-present and eternal clashing of two ideologies, hope versus despair. In the end, my hope won. But two's despair got some good blows in. Well done. What a ride. I want to ask a question. Yeah? Did he really write it like that every time? Or did you just intentionally... I added that in, no. I thought yeah, so. I... There was a good take. I like that. Cool. <laughs> so, those are our Fresno's choices. Show night. Dongan Ron Pa 2 and the Final Fantasy Legend. He said Dongan Ron Pa 2 was game of the year. Yeah. Just... Oh yeah. Yeah. But Let's I, clarify, Jonathan. It's, it's it was pretty I thought it was unordered though. Really We're... any of them are. But not Shovel Knight. <laughs> <laughs> what so... do you have against Shovel Knight all of a sudden? Oh, nothing. I'm just, you know, if you like your games to be good, then yeah, whatever. Play Shovel Knight, I guess. <laughs> Before we go any more down this rabbit hole, because I think it's a, not the last time we're going to hear this particular argument, Rhett, why don't you hit us up with your final game of the day, number 666. <laughs> My number six, it's almost a little surprising to me that this game is on here. It's Puppeteer. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Really? How did... Okay, you're going to have to rationalize this one for us. Yeah, I remember talking to you about this one. It's just... I don't know how to put it into words. It's just kind of similar to Rayman, where it's just a joyous, over-the-top experience of a game. It looked more like Clockwork Night to me. No, that's selling it very, very short. And I don't actually dislike Clockwork Night either. Oh, jeez. These games are bad. You should feel bad. I replayed them not that long ago, both of them. Ouch. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Puppeteer is just... Yes, it's not that great of a game. Like, if you watch your games, so your platformers should be playable. But just the production values... Oh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> The production values and just the sheer spectacle of that game. Like, it's going 
11 out of 10 the entire time. So it just kind of won you over in the end with its charm. I mean, the charm was there from day, from like minute one. But, but it, it's, it like, with me and Enslaved, it like, the, mm. the mechanics aren't really like the way that you want to look at that game. Yeah. And I think I was disappointed in the platforming aspects of Puppeteer, but in the back half, once you have all the abilities, like, and it stops throwing a new move at you every 20 minutes, like, it gets better. It becomes more consistent once you've just got your final move set. But just, it's like every single stage is this little self-contained Saturday morning cartoon. Aww. It's just, it's totally nuts, though. <laughs> like, there's just one episode where you, like, get kidnapped by pirates and then you break out of their pirate ship and then you're climbing, like, the mast of their ship while other characters are sword fighting behind you and you fight a boss. It's just, it's awesome. <laughs> And then, like, you go to outer space at the end, and you're like, the moon is battling against a castle in the sky. <laughs> it's just, wow, it's a that's crazy amazing. game. That's some Asura's Wrath shit there. Yeah. And, like, Dang. The, vo- the voice acting is going, like, the entire game. Like, it never shuts up. That's in good. A, in a good way. Okay, good. Like, just these characters in the story is just nonstop. Like, it's a game that just goes. The entire time. Like like the first episode of uh, My Bride is a Mermaid. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, like yeah. it just never freaking stops. It's yelling the whole time. Yeah. It's a game I, I actually tried had that to... with Anna, and she did not really care for it. I don't... I never liked My the Bride first two mermaid. episodes of that uh, very much. Yeah, they, they don't... They're not what I come to that show for. I think episode three and on is when it gets it, really good. They do help make a crazy first impression, though. And it does have Choco Banana. Yes. Choco Banana is <laughs> one of my favorite gags in anime ever. And it's got Lunar. She's great. Yeah, but she shows up way later. But she's still great. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, Pu- Puppeteer is a game that if you just play like one stage at a time because it's such a sensory overload, like it's amazing looking and it's, I really enjoyed it. Wow, you're, you're turning me on to this game after turning me off to it earlier this year in the <laughs> That's podcast. That's basically how I'm my experience right now. Yeah. Too. This game did not sound as nearly as over the top as it did when you first talked about it on here. I just, when I looked at list of games I played, I was like, that one was fucking nuts. <laughs> and I like things that are crazy. Clearly it shows. And not only, you know, in the games that you choose to play, but in the games you choose to make. <laughs> yeah. Like half the bosses in puppeteer are like kind of variations of Spinderella from dynamite heady. Which they, is the best do boss. This, yeah, they do the circular arena thing a lot. I mean, it, it is kind of derivative. Like, I wish... If it played better than Game of the Decade... Oh, wow. Which is too bad. But it's just... It's a fun-as-hell ride. That's cool. So, John, I hear you've got a number 666 for me. All right. Um, number six and the last nu- game on my list that I'll be reading off tonight. Um, Ebe. For PC. Eve, that's that crazy horror game made an RPG yep, maker, isn't it? RPG maker game where you are in an art gallery and you step around the art gallery and suddenly no one else is there and then a fruit falls out of a painting and splatters on the floor and then things progress from there. And it just goes farther and farther and farther and keeps getting... It kept going further than I thought it was going to and by the end it had this really cool story that wrapped up in a really satisfying way with like 
Silent Hill 2 style multiple endings that um, are affected by your actions throughout the whole game. <laughs> that's that's really one of the big hooks for me. That's so cool. I didn't know about that until I finished it. And I was like, whoa, they're oh, cool. And it was the ways that it was judging me were invisible to me. That's I didn't awesome. notice it going through the game. That's Silent so, Hill Shattered Memories has sort of the same thing where it's silently judging you as well. Kind of. Well, except that they... It's not silent because at the start of the game, it's like, this game psychoanalyzes you as you play. Well, it I mean, freak you, you out. But, but it doesn't <laughs> necessarily tell you, it doesn't tell you how it's doing it. Mm-hmm. But they were advertising that front and center, like, throughout the whole game. Right. Throughout the whole um, build up to that game, which felt really tacky to me. Um, uh, and also, I just think Eve is a better story than well, Shattered yeah. Memories. Um, but yeah, that's a cool game in its own right. Um,. Yeah, Eve is a really, really cool little horror game, and it freaked me out. I was playing it in a, like a pretty crowded computer lab, and I was still like going Eve <laughs> at points and jerking up in my seat. Now imagine like your classmates think real highly of you. Oh, absolutely. There's that um, weirdo kid. It's got Tourette's again. <laughs> so I bet he's a celiac played- too. <laughs> It's also special to me because I played it right after playing Sonic Adventure 1 and Sonic Adventure 2 and Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Yay! And so all of those games were fun for me, but they're also really dumb. So coming off of those and playing Eve was kind of a nice, like, oh yeah, games, games can be art thing moment. A good palate cleanser. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, I really, really liked Ebe. Awesome. It is on my two-playlist. Cool. Cool. And I guess my final of the day, my number 666, is Freedom Planet. You know, I've said it a million times before, but what if Treasure made a Sonic game? Boom. There you go. That game's fantastic. I mean, there's just... There's not a lot to hate about that game other than its story is kind of poopola. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I talked about this game quite a bit on the last podcast with John uh, because I think that he had played it. Um, and, I mean, it's just, there's just not a whole hell of a lot wrong with that game. It's so good. It's It, it feels good to play. They, they nailed, you know, like the perfect feeling of what it would feel like if Treasure made a Sonic game. I mean, that's really just the best way you can think about that game. And if that blows up your skirt, hey, you know what game you need to be, you know, getting on Steam to buy. You know, again, it's criminally overlooked this year, unfortunately. Um, But such a good game, and I had a great time with it. Uh, enough that, you know, it's this high on my list, and I did not expect it to be until the last time that we talked about it. It was like, no, this this, this game actually impacted me a lot more this year than I thought it did. Um, so yeah, Freedom Planet. Go check it out. And I guess we will round things out this episode with our last user list of the day, listener list. Uh, this one comes courtesy of Skids Relic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and if I'm not, just uh, contact Rhett, and he will buy you everything on your Steam Witch list. <laughs> so, uh, he starts. So, I guess it's time for me to at least contribute instead of just talking about it. Looking back, though, it seems like I didn't play too many games. 
But there, but here's three I did in no real order. <clears throat> Super Smash Brothers for Wii U. Yay. <laughs> I can hear the fart noises, but let me defend it. Are you going to make some fart noises? <laughs> I'm just saying that this is the most fun party game. He got the genre right. It's the most fun party game, not a fighting game, I've played in quite some time. Uh, just for the sheer amount of content in this game, me and my friends keep going back, and I <clears throat> and intend to for a while. Uh, we played brawl for all of for, uh, we played brawl for over six years, and this one is heads and tails above brawl. So it could so it could last way longer. It looks good, feels good, and we have a blast playing it. I feel that the, I feel that that alone means I can put it on here. Okay. I'll I'll give that to you. You you'll still get more fart noises, so. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we have Bayonetta. Yes, Bayo 1. I haven't played two yet, but the first is incredible. It's just a really good feeling action game. It's just fun mowing down ton- mowing down waves of angels with all of the various kinds of weapons you get. The story is kind of silly and doesn't make sense sometimes, but I rate the end sequence as one of the best endings ever. I don't want to spoil it, but it has about three false ends where you think it's over and you put down the controller only to pick it only to pick it back up because it's not over yet. Really fun stuff, and I can't wait until part two. Yes, Bayonetta. Love those games. Good stuff. Uh, and one that is going to please the hell out of Mr. John over there. Get ready, buddy. I know you're ready for this. I know you're going to love it. Are you ready? What is it? What is it? What is it? Shovel Knight. Mm. Of course. This should be on everybody's list. It's fantastic. While being a tribute to classic gaming, it stands up as its own game for today as well. Everything from the graphics to the music is top notch. I can go on for days about the game, but all I'll say is if you haven't played it, get off your ass. There you have it. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Skids Relic, the one guy that kept saying he was going to do things on the forums and never did. So, hey, that's that's the, I think that's a pretty fine selection of games you got there. I'm still going <laughs> to more farts for Smash for you because you requested it. Um, so, uh, I guess before oh. we... Wait, 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 wait. Wait, hold I, on. I, I, I've got an email here. What? I got a response from Rock Gumbler. He made some changes to his list. He needs them read on the air immediately. Oh, okay, man. Okay, um, go! Okay. Good Otacon. Thank you, Addendum 2014. Re-important! Exclamation, 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 one, exclamation, oh, man. exclamation. Oh, man. This is important. president of the United States has been kidnapped by ninjas. This is how That's you know this is important. That's a lot of exclamations and one. That's seven exclamations and a one. Damn. Oh, shit. But no eleven. No eleven. Ugh. I forgot to include one game on my already perfect list. I actually feel very bad for getting this game, so I need to make an addendum. My favorite game of 2014 is not Shovel Knight. It is... Drumroll. <laughs> 1001 Spikes. Wow! Ooh. This game was tailor-made for my tastes. Guy who likes looks like Splunky? Check. Brutal gameplay... What reward skill and mindless memorization? Check. Catchy bit blasting soundtrack? Check. 
I had to start the game over about six sevenths of the way through because I ran out of lives. Oh my god! I That's never knew. Amazing. I never knew that when you ran out of lives, it was like I thought it was just a joke. <sighs> okay, so going off the email here, I did talk to him about this. Apparently, when you run out of lives, you can continue and you start with like three. Oh my god! So, <laughs> so it's like goddamn impossible because you burn through lives like immediately. <laughs> That is so dickish. So every time you have to continue, it takes like 45 seconds to like get back in. So he just said fuck it and restarted the entire game because it was faster that way. (laughs) That's so mean. I can admire admire them for having the balls to do that, though. Beautiful. Oh, sure. And a thousand one spikes, you admire it. (laughs) Because that game still seems playable, John. What does that even mean? Playable. Yeah, what does playable mean? What is... <laughs> Existential debates about video games. What does playable mean? What exactly is playable? Has anyone ever stopped and thought, Pokemon, why? Take <laughs> 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 a second there. That's good. Shoots at the buzzer and nails it. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay, continuing the email. I ran out of 1,001 lives, but I did do considerably better on my second playthrough, and it felt good, really good, when I beat the secret extra levels with about 100 lives to spare. I loved this game. Wow. Can I say my experience of hearing about that game for the first time? Sure. So apparently on the 3DS version of 1,001 Spikes... They highlight the spikes, the blocks that shoot spikes out, whereas in the rest of the game, it, um, in all the other versions of the game, it doesn't highlight them, and you just have to approach every block thinking, okay, this one could shoot spikes out, I have to be careful. Well, all of the blocks have specific tells. Um, I think the tells are way more obvious on 3DS, though. Oh, are they? They're like, they're like like light gray. Oh, wow. They're a way different shade of gray when on... The other, like, PC and consoles, they're, like, a single pixel might be different. I have to wonder if Nintendo might have had something to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, like, a big, long talk with Reed about, like, what makes difficulty interesting and everything. And basically, it just seemed like they'd completely changed how that game functions for the 3DS version. Yeah. And I was sad about that. And I was like, well, I'm going to play the PC version to enjoy myself. I never heard that. That's a really weird thing to have changed between versions i thought that like well maybe it's an easy mode no weird yeah the blocks that drop on 3ds are like a way different lighter shade of gray wow that's so weird so you can just tell right away like which ones are gonna fall Mm -hmm. and stuff like that that wouldn't be satisfying at all yeah it just seems kind of blue so i'll play i'll probably play a thousand one spikes at some point that game looks really cool yeah I'm still not sure how I feel about, like, real memorization-based things like that and uh, Volgar. Mm-hmm. Like, I do kind of well, like the more think-on-your-feet kind of stuff. I would mm-hmm. say uh, try Volgar before 1001 Spikes, personally. Yeah, probably. I played you a good bit so? of I enjoyed it. I think so, because it's... it's I don't know. Maybe. Like, Volgar... That Volgar looks so stiff, though. It's it's Being... not as stiff as it looks. Mm-hmm. I think it maybe is a little stiff, but in like a good way. <laughs> yeah, like it's kind of it feels very purposeful, like Castlevania or Ghouls and Ghosts or Dark Souls or Dark oh. Souls. 
Oh, I, that's going to be on your list, right? What? John. That was, a, that was that on our list last year, I think. That should be on your list next year. Yeah. This, oh, yeah. Almost definitely. <laughs> that's like at the top of my best games of all time that I haven't played yet list. Oh, of course. Next Saga Frontier. Oh. Oh, I will kill you. All right. Anyway. Uh, no. Do I have one more list yet? No, that is the end of our first day festivities. So I don't know if we want to give like a quick little round table to read back up our top 10 to 6, but my number 10 is Enslaved, Odyssey to the West. My number 9 is Volgar the Viking. My number 8 is Jazz Punk. Number 7, Monument Valley. Number 6, Freedom Planet. Who's next? I'll go next. Well, actually, I'll read off Anna's, which was... Um Pokemon Y, Pokemon Heart Gold, and Pokemon Fire Red. And Persona 4. And Persona 4, Appendum. And my list um, was Kagiri Naki Tatakai for the Sharp X1, Sonic Adventure for the Dreamcast, Metal Gear Ghost Babble for the Game Boy Color, Hunters, the Relics of Stars. <laughs> God damn it. No and, doubt. And Eeb. And Rhett. Number 10, Guacamelee. Number 9, Rayman Legends. Number 8, Saints Row 4. Number 7, Shadow of the Colossus. And number 6, Puppeteer. All right. And All right, with- so Anne has the best list. And- of course. <laughs> and with that in the books, that is our first day of Game of the Year podcasting. Tune in tomorrow, same time. You're going to get another fat earful of user lists, our top fives. And uh, maybe a couple of fun other things. You never know. So Yeah, like maybe we'll do a, a top ten general for the whole site and we'll all argue over which games get included. Yeah, and we'll I'll, do that. That'll definitely happen. Tune in tomorrow for all of that. And we'll just get a, really upset with each other and like threaten each other. And oh, don't worry, like, John. No, we're not going to put that game on the, on the site. Ah. Don't worry, great. John. You'll get mad at me. Yay. All right. I, all I just... of that and all the fun stuff tomorrow. <laughs> so from all of us here at SoxCast to all of you out there, remember, we're the podcast that loves you. We're the only ones that love you. Catch you bitches tomorrow. <laughs>